This is Stardust and Soil, the Enchanted Soul podcast. And we are your hosts, the Manitas Oscuras, the Dark Little Sisters. I am Ariana. And I am Alexia. We discuss wayfinding through celestial cycles and reconnecting to the wild rhythms of nature. So you can reclaim your magic and surrender to sacred sanctuary. So, so that's it. How are you Hi. today, Susie? Awesome. <laughs> I'm good. I'm I'm holding my little baby kitten. Who's that? This is baby Fu. We just adopted him. And he's, he's a little grumpy because he wants to have nap time. It is Vuk, spelled with a V, V-U-K. It is Slavic meaning wolf because he's a main so cute. And yeah. you always have V names for your cats. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit weird. And they also <laughs> always match. They're always like a similar color pattern. Which is, I've always enjoyed. It's always okay, but was, was Cosette also a similar color pattern? Yeah, Cosette was a rag doll. Yeah. So also the white and the gray. It's been very accidental, but I, I mean, I love them. They're so cute. <laughs> All right, tell me about you. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Um, today, Andrew and I, our cafe, our coffee roasting company, Daily Coffee was featured on Daily Coffee News, which what? is an online um, like magazine, and it's amazing. So so cool that they did a write up on us. So that was just posted today. So you guys are so dope. You guys are role models to me. <laughs> that makes my stomach just drop right through my feet. But um, it was really awesome. <laughs> today we are going to talk about boredom and curiosity and presence and multitasking we are we're going to help you understand a little bit about boredom what it means for your brain what it means in your body even sometimes and then also give some ideas and insights on how to really cultivate boredom and use it to increase your creativity help your overall yeah. well-being mental well-being um how it's something we typically avoid, but there are reasons really to kind of dig into it and to explore, like you said, with curiosity, that feeling of yeah. being bored. So awesome. So on the subject of multitasking, according to Dr. Daniel Levitin, a cognitive psychologist and neuroscientist, every time you shift your attention from one thing to another, the brain has to engage a neurochemical switch that uses nutrients in the brain to accomplish that. So if you're attempting to multitask, you're not actually completing multiple things at once because the brain doesn't work that way. Instead, you are rapidly shifting from one thing to the next, depleting neural resources as you go. That's wild. I read somewhere in my research this week, yeah, that multitasking can reduce someone's productivity by up to 40%, which yeah, like... And like women are supposedly better at multitasking. Um, which, are we though, or are we I just mean, more prone to do it because we have more like tasks, responsibilities? Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and also like women take, I don't know the statistic, but vastly more of the mental load. So that could very emotional play labor. into that. But yeah, because we, we multitask and we think it's helping us. We think that we're, I do at least. <laughs> Um, generally speaking, I think that I'm able to accomplish yeah. more in that way. It's something that I've definitely written down on like resumes being like excellent at multitasking, yeah. um, which now if I were to see that on somebody's resume, 
I'd be like, oh, we need to address this because <laughs> that maybe seems like I'm going to be or we're going to be on like the short end of the stick, if that's the case. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. It's certainly one of my goals to reduce multitasking as much as I can to be focused on one thing at a time, which mm. is interesting. So this brings me to what I really wanted to talk about today, because it is something that I have heard all around. I've read it on like well-published magazines. I've been given this information as far as like marketing and, and the business in business strategy. And it is this statistic that people have an 8.25 span of attention. And this is something that's been circulating for many years. I believe though, that we can all in some way agree that our attention span is is quite low. My threshold for something keeping my attention is quite low. I have ADHD. So that is definitely something that plays into it. Something that I have to be very cognizant of, but I notice this in my meditation when I'm just sitting still, I could say probably a new thought will enter my head. So every few seconds, I'm not sitting there counting because it's somewhat antithetical to meditation, but I am aware that once I've begin to start clearing my mind, making space, something, whether it's something I said 10 years ago or something I have to do in 10 minutes when I'm done with my meditation, something is always coming up, which is the purpose of meditation. So I could say somewhere around 10 seconds, 12 seconds, eight seconds, you know, within there, I'm definitely being fed some sort of stimulus from my brain. And so that makes me very curious. And it has been something that I have studied for a long time meditation and how to meditate. And in large part, I think we live in a very instantaneous, somewhat excessive society, you know, scrolling on doom scrolling as it were on any of the apps is like a video has a very short amount of time to grab your attention, to give some sort of information and if it doesn't quickly, then you are on to the next thing. Of course, humans have the ability to direct our focus for much longer than eight seconds. I think for the adult person, it's somewhere between like 10 and 20 minutes that we have like a, a good amount of focus. Depends mm. person to person, but we have a good amount of focus for quite a bit longer than yeah. eight seconds. But I think it takes that many seconds to really grab your attention and, and to hold it. And when we're used to, or we have the expectation of having some sort of stimuli again and again, specifically from doom scrolling or, or from even watching a television show, like there's stuff is being fed to us every, every moment, new information, and it can get easy to become used to it, to create an expectation around it. And I use this word direct. We have the ability to direct our focus when it's intentional. And the word direct when used as a verb, it means from the Oxford Languages Dictionary, it means to aim something, to aim our mind, our focus in a particular direction. In yoga, you might call this your drishti. So in yoga, you find a focal point to hold your gaze, to help you stay in a pose. 
And it also can be construed as far as a mental capacity, your focus, where is your focus and where are you looking to, where are you going to? So we have the ability to direct it, but when it is used as a verb, it means that we have to do something. We have to do something. We have to take action in order to, in order to maintain focus or to aim it, to direct it. Since we have a nearly uncapped access to external stimuli, I think no caps is what the kids are saying these days. No caps. <laughs> no caps. <laughs> <laughs> Which keeps us from getting bored. And um, Right. And so when we do get bored, what I've noticed is people feel extremely uncomfortable and they will find almost anything to distract themselves from feeling that boredom. From feeling the discomfort. Yes. Yeah. 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 The discomfort that comes with being bored. It's like, maybe I need to be productive. Maybe I need to be doing something, or maybe it's that expectation again of something needs to be stimulating. And then it takes effort. It takes, it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of mental capacity to shift and direct your focus. Like you were saying, it takes a lot of mental capacity and neural energy in order to switch. So if we're switching every so often to maintain that first initial focus or drishti takes effort to, to pull yourself back to it, which is why it's, yeah. it's hard. So how is this relevant to yoga and how do we see this boredom in, in yoga? Like where does it really play in? And what I see is there are a couple of places. So it's meditation, if you're in like a class for meditation or your yoga teacher walks you through a meditation or more commonly in Shavasana in corpse pose at the end of the class. I don't think I've ever been in a class that doesn't lead us into corpse pose at the end, but if you're not familiar, that's the, the typical route that people take. <laughs> I'd be corpsing. <laughs> I do. It's, it's my favorite pose. 100%. And, and the reason is because yoga Yogasana, the poses that we go through, is a tool that was developed to prepare your mind and your body for meditation and for stillness. So when we go through a class leading to Shavasana, the whole class has been leading us to this place where we can find stillness. We are doing so much action leading us to a place where we can just be in stillness, but it can be, it can be boring. And it's easy for the mind to return to that seeking stimulus. And so what I find in my own self and what I've observed in my students is that we'll get into Shavasana and our mind does and can immediately jump ahead to what we're doing next, where we have to be, you know, um, in our What's for dinner? schedule <laughs> for the day. Well, we have to pick up from the grocery store for dinner when we have to get the kids. And it is easy to then take that thought, which leads to a feeling, which leads to an action. And then to jump up from Shavasana, the best part of the class, hands down, best part. And then to move on as though we, as though we don't notice the benefits of that stillness, as though we don't notice what we've come here to do and to be, which is one with, with yourself, when, when with your spirit in the present moment. And like I said, the brain jumps ahead And so how do we pull it back? And what is so interesting about boredom is like it allows for meditation. I think about when I'm doing the dishes, there's not a lot of mental capacity that I need to put into that. I know to take clean dishes 
run them through the water, rinse them, put them on the drying. And yeah. it is a very meditative process for me because my mind is able to be present, but I also am able to like think about all of these things and observe yeah. with curiosity what I'm experiencing. And the absence of that external stimulus is important to tuning your mind and it and meditation have been found to increase creativity, improve mental health, improve productivity, and be very restful and necessary and restful for your mind and for your, your, your mental capacity. Like you said, it takes so much energy to bounce back and forth and, and your mind deserves a break. Like it totally does. But yeah. what happens when you're scrolling for your break is that you are not actually getting a rest. Your mind is constantly being fed all of this information and you are constantly having to shift. So how can you turn this into a practice and how can you really start to benefit from meditation or from Shavasana, even if it's just at the end of your practice? So this is where the action step comes in and there are steps. So the first one would be some sort of asana or pranayama is another tool to ready your mind and body. Let's say you're in meditation and you are trying to clear your brain. The purpose supposedly of meditation is complete stillness in action in your brain, in action in your brain, but it takes practice. And it's like going from zero to a hundred if you expect your brain to immediately shut off once you try to meditate. So yeah. one of the steps could be asana, pranayama. And then the next step in your meditation could be mantra. Do you, have you had any experience using mantras in your yeah, I have. I've done a few different ones. I don't know that I have a very solid one right now, but I'm open to suggestions. Yeah. So mantras are beautiful ways to introduce new ideas or beliefs that you want to start incorporating into your life. So if, for instance, you have a thought that is like, I'm always stressed. I'm yeah. always stressed. I'm always stressed. That thought like creates a pathway in your brain. And every time you think it, the grooves get dug a little bit deeper in, yeah. your, in your brain. And it causes you to be more stressed. <laughs> it causes you to believe that about yourself. It causes that, that belief to create more stress in your life. So mm -hmm. it can really, you know, go down and down and down from there. So yeah. if you were, for instance, to take that thought, I'm always stressed and turn it into, I'm always calm, or I know how to create calm in my life or I sometimes experience stress, even to, to distance yourself um, one step away from that thought. Like I sometimes yeah. experience stress. I'm, I am not stress, but I yeah. experience stress. So you can create that different alternate neural pathway in your brain, which is then leading you further and further away from that one belief. I'm always stressed. Neuroplasticity is super cool. And when you realize how much you can positively impact your own life by just telling your brain to behave the way you want it to. Yeah. It's really sick. It's Absolutely. really magical. Yeah. It's so magical. I love that you said that word because it truly is. Like, yeah. You, you can have these beliefs that are subconscious that have been there as long as you can remember and they can be impacting you in ways that you could never imagine. But the power to change that, to change the impact, has never not been part of you. And any moment you could decide is the moment to change that belief or to change the impact, seek a different route and, yeah. and turn it on its head. 
which is a digression also, but a super valuable one. (laughs) I think so. I think that's a good one. Yeah. So how can you do this? So using the use of mantras is a, a wonderful next step. So directing your brain actionably, but with a minimal effort, just repeating one phrase over and over again, it is giving your brain what it wants, which is to think thoughts and have ideas, but you're choosing the thoughts. You're choosing them ahead of time. So in a yoga class, perhaps you have chosen an intention at the beginning of class. So then now you can bring in that intention again and you can have it front of mind, slowly repeating it to yourself, um, for your brain as like, as like food or like a little a little seed that you get to ruminate on and you get to plant in your mind in this meditation or in this shavasana and then you get to see how it grows and what builds from there and it's a practice in directing your energy intentionally so th- so this is just the beginning is like in shavasana and then yeah. you begin to notice it outside of shavasana or outside of your meditation. And it's another opportunity to be intentional with the energy that you're already using mentally and then turning it back around and intentionally cultivating the creativity. So like it surely is boring to say one thing again and again for 10 minutes, but is it like, what happens if you do that? Yeah. You know, like what, what would you notice if you were to do that instead of letting the brain run amok, what could you observe and what could you, um, I think you, you mentioned it before, like notice, accept, inquire, shift. So what do yeah. you, what do you notice? And then the curiosity aspect comes in next. Like, what is it about that? How can I inquire yeah. about that? And then is there anything that I need to shift? Yeah. The shifting to align with those, those mantras is PowerPoint, you know, because if yeah, if you recognize why they're curious, why they're interesting, why they're resonating with you, then you do start to inherently develop a game plan to shift into alignment with that belief that you want to exist for yourself. Absolutely. And it's totally personal in that way. I'm not here to suggest that you should be any way other than what is totally authentic to you. And and that's what's so beautiful. It's like you get to decide in, in any moment what where you're going and what you want to incorporate. And that can shift too. But yeah, so the moon phase is a waxing crescent moon. And what we went through last week was the new moon. So that is a time to to let go, to release, to detox, or to shed, slough off all of anything old, anything that isn't serving anymore. And then moving into the waxing crescent moon, it is a time to start getting more active. Your body is now, body, mind, soul, is now ready for nourishment. So we did the detoxification and now we're ready to move into nourishment. It is the kapha time of the lunar cycle, which means that earth and water are dominant, and it could be a very interesting time to begin to to play with that creativity aspect that we were talking about before. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the nourishment is a very large term to describe many different things because obviously your nourishment for your body, for your wellness, what are you ingesting visually, what is stimulating you, and for your body, are you allowing 
activity to enter in? How can you find movement that feels good to your heart and your soul? Because like my first instinct when I'm like, oh, I got to be active is I, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go for a run. And I got to tell you, I hate running. <laughs> and yeah. so while that is good for my heart, I'm getting some cardio. It's good for my muscles. They're getting some movement. It's good for a lot of different things. I wouldn't call that movement nourishing for me specifically. Right. Right. Yeah. But say I wanted to explore some yoga with Luz de Mi Vida, I should hop over onto that Instagram and get some inspo for how to integrate all of these wonderful energetics into my life in a meaningful way. Yeah, hop on over. Hop on over there. So again, in our Stardust section, we do have the, oh, the full super snow moon occurring on February 23rd. This full moon is known as the super snow moon because it coincides with the closest point in the moon's orbit to Earth, making it appear slightly larger and brighter. Yay. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with being slightly larger and brighter, baby. Absolutely not. Mm -mm. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. So as we're exploring boredom and our ability to take back control of our thoughts and release some of the expectations for stimulus, I also wanted to talk about and explore the surprising superpower of boredom as a catalyst for creativity, curiosity, and presence, which you touched on. So diving into that topic may it's seem like we worked on this together. It's like we did, but we actually didn't. And, <laughs> and that's kind of cool, right? Well, like then. when you do a group project and you both do the work. Oh. Oh. I'm, I can't relate apart from like this moment. <laughs> All of my past experiences, like what? We had a group project. <laughs> I was always no, the person like, who got screwed over. <laughs> yeah, it's like I did all of the work. So only yep. part of the work is done. Or only half of it, which means I get half a grade, even though I did <laughs> all of the work that I was supposed to do. Oh, but not, uh, we gotta, not today. Not today. Not today. We both did it. Proud of us. So boredom, that feeling of restless emptiness that can sometimes feel like a black hole threatening to swallow our day and joy. But what if we decided to look at boredom not as an enemy, but as the fertile ground where creativity and curiosity can blossom? Hmm, what if we did that? What if? What if? What if? Well, recent studies by researchers tell us that boredom actually stimulates activity in the brain's default network. Did you know you had a default mode network? Because you do. And you no, can see these on fMRIs. It will engage the default mode network, which when engaged, fuels daydreaming, introspection, and spontaneous idea generation. However, we live in a world that glorifies constant stimulation, and we are bombarded with notifications and social media feeds and endless entertainment options, and we're expected to be on all the time and constantly achieving and constantly producing, which breeds stressed-out attempts to multitask. And per the quote, 
I gave you at the beginning of the episode, all that does is deplete your neural energy. So if you think about a time when you were bored, maybe you were like stuck in a waiting room or on a long drive or just like staring out the window, did anything interesting happen for you? I think for you, it probably did because you're used to the meditation. But for other people, sometimes the thought is just, uh... I'm bored. Like, I'm bored again and again. That's a mantra in itself. Yes, that is a mantra. And especially for young people, I've noticed. So what happens to us if we get bored or what happens when we don't get bored? So if we aren't igniting that default mode network in our brain, then we are missing out on opportunities for us to discover so many connections in our own life and so many opportunities for us to increase our joy and An example of that is that the default mode network can stimulate daydreaming connected to disparate ideas, solving problems, and autobiographical planning, which is thinking about one's life, setting goals, and then planning steps to reach them. So if you aren't experiencing boredom, if you're not allowing yourself to experience boredom, then you're also potentially hindering your ability to achieve goals that you have for yourself which could also hinder your ability to build the life that you want. So some of the most frequent places that people are experiencing boredom in our current culture are at work, school, and Shavasana, or also on walks when they have to go outside for their stupid mental health. And something that's really sad about that is, again, the mantra is, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And it is turning people's brains off to learning it's turning people's brains off to discovery and it's turning people off to innovation yeah i was i was reading that too in all of my research it was like problem solving creative problem solving like yeah yeah. Yeah. and oh my goodness in a recent survey ceos noted that creativity was one of their leading indicators for a good leader so if you aren't allowing yourself to navigate the boredom to the other side of creativity, you could even be impending your own ability to step up career-wise, to get a promotion. And not all of it is just about how you can be a productive member of society. Some of it is just about you. I mean, nobody's really satisfied when they're sitting in boredom and they're waiting for external stimulus. And I do know that some people can experience boredom as an indication of depression, but it does take the presence of mind to acknowledge how you are experiencing that boredom and asking the questions like you mentioned, you're recognizing it, you're wondering how you can accept it, how you can inquire about it, and how you can potentially shift it so that you can find greater fulfillment. And I think that was the end of that thought. (laughs) It was a beautiful thought. It's so exciting to hear you talk about this and to see, yeah, to see how like intersectional really the two topics are. It is. It's a very intersectional topic that not only touches your psychology, it touches your neural chemistry, it touches your physical structure, it can touch your meditation practices and your Mm. yoga experience and all of that is what develops one's future so if we aren't discussing something as simple as boredom 
then a lot of people just move through their lives avoiding it. And how how disheartening that potentially somebody with a crazy imaginative invention is so afraid of boredom. Absolutely. Instead, they're doom scrolling. And it's like, come on. (laughs) We got it. I just want. I, and I'm not even sitting here to try to shit on boredom either. I just, I just want, I just want to advocate for a greater sense of presence in your own mind, so that you are aware of what you're experiencing as you experience it. You know what I mean? Absolutely, it's so beautiful. And I just think of we often look to the past to try to solve problems for the future. And Mm. I love, you said autobiographical planning Mm -hmm. and, and how we can, how we can truly use the limitless, limitless creativity that resides within our own brains, within your brain to problem solve for the future, to look ahead and, and do that instead. Not that there's anything wrong with the past. There's like gotta be this mashup. You gotta understand the past. And actually what you just said was very interesting because there was a study, it was a while back by USC where they were studying teenagers who were using social media while having conversations with friends or while doing homework. And two years after they did this observation of these teenagers, they noticed that they had less of a connection and less of a creative desire to build their own personal futures. And not only that, but they felt disassociated from their ability to impact their own community issues, such as a violent neighborhood. And, and that's such a, that's a, that's a very scary problem because the the youth are the future you know so if we're if we're we're training young people into accepting external stimulus instead of navigating understanding and accepting boredom then we're potentially shutting out a whole group of people that could benefit the planet on a large scale i have a quick story please tell me okay so this just sparked this memory I was dropping off my daughter at school one morning and all of the kids, they hadn't opened the doors yet. So all of the kids were um, just waiting for the doors to open. It was like Mm -hmm. a minute or within a minute of when they would open the door. And my daughter walked up to try the handle Mm -hmm. and it didn't work because it wasn't opened yet. And she was like, I should have known because all of the other kids were standing and waiting. And it was interesting to me because what I thought was probably none of the other kids tried. Probably all of them just saw everyone waiting and standing. And what, what hurt my heart a little bit about it was that she felt embarrassed to have walked up in front of people and tried the handle when perhaps it had been open and everyone had just noticed that everyone was standing and waiting and, um, and, and didn't even try. And that is a very, very small example of creativity is just like trying and making the action and giving it a shot, but that we're, we're, we're afraid of that. Or we don't think that we have the ability to change things or to try something new or to do something different than our peers, what we see happening, but that just couldn't be further from the truth. And it's something that I'm, I'm glad to have seen her do. 
And I was glad that we were able to talk about it because just because it, you know, it didn't work that time. It was just a door, but perhaps all of the other doors that she tries to open will be open instead in the future. Yeah. And, or any other thing she wants to try that not everyone else is trying and proverbial door. Sorry. Yeah. Proverbial door. <laughs> we have, we all have a proverbial door. <laughs> okay. You just have to find it. Sometimes it's a window. Yeah. 10 floors up. Oh. <laughs> that got dark. I, I, in my head, I had wings. And so Absolutely. I was jumping out to fly. Um, Unintentional. We were in our fantasy. We could just fly. <laughs> so relating this back to my soil, my earthy, naturey vibe that I like to pour into this pod, some people experience boredom in nature due to our culture's separation from the relationship with it. And I'm not here to judge you, though sometimes I do wonder about people who say they're not into nature because I think perhaps you have let boredom make a decision for you instead of investigating how your relationship with it can benefit the both of you. And I'm talking to you, whoever says that you're not into nature, call me, get into it. So, and like find us time. on our socials so we can argue about it. <laughs> yeah. I would love, I would love to argue with somebody about things. You can find my secondary <laughs> Instagram, Viva Plantalones, <laughs> as I'm talking about avoiding technology and stuff, but find me there so we can argue about connectedness to nature. Yeah. It's like that a way. creating balance kind of a situation. It like, is. We're we're pretty into technology at this point. It'd be difficult yeah. to like totally extricate ourselves from that. But just like, how do you balance it? Oh, it for sure would be. But on that note, I would love to share some of the research I found on this, actually. So digital literacy needs to include self-regulation. And that's backed by permission from Ariana and I to take a break from your doom scrolling to set your phone down, put it in your pocket for a whole hour. See if you can go for two, see if you can go for three. In most Make cases, it I your think own. Be beneficial. Make yeah. it your own. And, and the reason that this is important is because it also plays into the neuroscience that Ariana was talking about. And that neurodevelopment of ceasing the addiction to reach for your phone, it can kind of help you wake from a mental coma because now again you're allowing yourself to experience boredom you're allowing yourself to look out the window for five minutes instead of scrolling instagram and even just doing that you're going to get some vitamin d from the sunlight and possibly some happy vibes from the leaves on the trees yeah hell yeah so yeah. the codependency and addiction with phone really just equals losing time and something that i've utilized is a digital well-being tracker so i highly recommend those to everybody they're really fantastic Basically, it has a schedule for all of my socials, and I can't access them from 7 a.m. until 3 p.m., I believe. And so that helps me minimize my doom scrolling during the daytime, which was hugely distracting from me accomplishing work during the day. And even if you just wanted to take a look at your digital well-being, it's, it can be kind of eye-opening to see how many hours a day you're spending just looking at somebody else's content. 
So I was listening to a TED Talk by Manoush Zamarodi, who is one of my favorite journalists. She is also the current host for TED Radio Hour, which is a fantastic podcast. She interviewed a UX designer who confirmed that technology is literally built to trigger addiction and an engineer's job is to get more attention from you. A great example of that is the CEO of Netflix is quoted by saying their biggest competitors are Facebook, YouTube, and sleep. Which is like, don't compete with my sleep. <laughs> no, nothing should be competing with your sleep. Sleep is so hugely important. Yeah, I'm so jealous of my sleep time. I know, like, that's, sleep is important. And so the UX designer also said that the only people who refer to their customers as users are drug dealers and technologists. So if the product is free, then you're the product and your attention is the product and you have to establish what your attention is worth. Like, are you truly thinking about and deciding for yourself when you access social networks or has your phone been given the power through habit to decide where your attention and time goes? So if I were to bring this back to the natural world, we can take trees that are tall, majestic and seemingly solid and unchanging, but beneath the surface, there's a hidden network of collaboration happening. And we don't think about this when we go for our little walks for the most part. A lot of people just go for their walks and sometimes they're even scrolling on their walks. <laughs> we're, all, we're doing whatever we can to avoid boredom, but underneath the surface, this hidden network is referred to as the wood wide web, which is the tree roots forming a symbiotic relationship to the vast network of mycelium. And they have fungal threads that connect them to other trees and plants so that every tree in a forest is essentially connected in one way or another. And the way this works is the mycelium embeds itself into the cells of the trees and they share nutrients with the trees while the trees share sugars and carbohydrates with the mycelium. And so they provide an abundant ecosystem on the forest floor repurposing and recycling all of the dead and decaying leaves or branches and sometimes even animal carcasses and the fact that they're able to communicate through this web connection is really beautiful because it's like a deep connection that we should be having with our own internal selves and not only our own internal selves but the people that we share close community with. The one more thing I wanted to share about the trees is that they are able to create their own defense systems. And one way they do that is by changing the chemicals within their leaves so that they can ward off certain bugs or diseases. And not only do they do that, they are able to then share messages through the fungal network to the other trees that they should prepare themselves for an invasion. And as that's happening, the mycelium and mycorrhizae under the earth is also creating and developing ways to defend themselves against bacteria because fungi is basically the greatest chemist in the universe. And they are able to create compounds that we can't even fully duplicate in labs at this present time. And all of that is a very complex way of saying that there really isn't anything to be bored about because even on your little walk, 
even if you're on a sidewalk, there are most likely roots underneath you. That's the magic of mycelium, the interconnected network of fungal threads that weave through the soil. This complex web, often unseen, supports the entire ecosystem, nourishing trees and facilitating communication between them. Just like the trees in mycelium, we can cultivate a deeper connection with ourselves and the world around us by embracing presence, by allowing ourselves to be truly bored, by quieting the noise and tuning into the present moment. We open ourselves up to a world of creativity and possibility. Recognize the difference between partial and full engagement in your life. Are you distracted by trying to satiate this expectation for external stimuli? Or are you engaging with your present moment? Are you engaging with your own mind? Are you allowing yourself to develop these new neural pathways? It can be very small and simple, but all of these things will help imbue you with more creativity and more joy. Hey, Ariana. <laughs> what? what is your one thing? Oh, okay. My <laughs> one thing, my one thing perhaps is going to be similar to your one thing, but it is just when you're experiencing feelings of, of boredom is to really get curious about where that's coming from. And it does take that effort that I was, that I was saying before, but even if you find yourself, like you said, reaching for your phone, again and again, just seeking that external sort of like validation or that external excitement and the stimuli that's coming from that, really get curious about what's, what is underneath that, that where is that stemming from? Mm -hmm. And, and then take that curiosity and take that boredom and begin to create that feeling of wonder and that feeling of curiosity and, and then see where that, where that could take you, whether it is like you were saying at school or at work, or if it is in your yoga practice and Shavasana and meditation, you can absolutely use this mental tool of even boredom to create wonder and curiosity, amazement in, in the little things in walking the down the sidewalk. Even I think yeah. like looking up at the tree branches turns your stem cells on. It does something weird with your chemistry. It does. Your brain. It, it but just looking does. up, I know there are trees in urban areas. So just looking up, turning your gaze intentionally up into a space that you know is going to benefit you can do wonders. Okay. What is your one thing? It absolutely can. Yes. It's about embracing the awe and the wonder, I think for me, because it really reframes how boredom is experienced. I agree with everything you said. And one way that you can do that in nature is take an awe walk, an A-W-E walk, <laughs> just going outside and trying to notice as many different things that you can that you've never noticed before. Whether that's the way the bark grows on a certain tree or how the leaves are starting to bud, or maybe it's even little baby lichen growing within the bark. There are so many different things that you can discover, and that's just a baby window into the world of nature being truly not boring. And if that's super the case with nature, super not boring. And if that's the case with nature, then I'm pretty sure your life doesn't have to be boring either. When we allow ourselves to be present and to step away from stimulation of our screens and schedules, we tap into a deeper well of curiosity and awareness. It's like 
creating space for the mycelium of our own creativity to flourish. And with that, I would like to say, like and follow us on our socials. You can find me, Ariana, at Luz Demi Vida Yoga on Instagram. And you can find my sister, Alexia, at Almava Alchemy. A-L-M-A-V-A dot alchemy yeah let's uh let's build a constellation of five star ratings um everyone helps illuminate the love so shine your light on our podcast and if you want to be featured on our next episode we might do a shout out so if you leave a review with the stars and tell us get yourself what resonated out. with you yeah maybe you can become super famous a super famous shout out super big maybe <laughs> super big maybe like and subscribe to become a part of the cosmic compost tribe our communities the pace to vibe and thrive so ariana okay so like i was saying okay so like what is really important here is that y'all go forth go forth you stardust baddies you cosmic compost baddies cosmic compost and blaze, and a blaze a trail through the, through the existential void. void. Please join us next week. We love you. We love you so much. Okay, bye. This podcast explores energetics and nature through personal interpretations and experiences. While we share sources and resources in the show notes, it's crucial to understand that your individual journey with these topics will be unique. Please approach the information presented with an open mind, critical thinking, and respect for diverse perspectives. It's important to note that energetics and nature are vast and complex subjects. While we strive to provide accurate and insightful information, remember the information is presented as educational entertainment and does not constitute medical or professional advice. Always consult with qualified healthcare practitioner for any personal concerns. Remember, everyone has their own unique energetic makeup and connection to nature. What resonates with one person may not resonate with another. Explore with curiosity, listen to your intuition, and prioritize your own well-being in your journey. Hey, thanks.